If you have your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter number 1. Uh, we're going to begin in verse number 1 over the next uh, several months. Uh, we're going to be walking through the book of Revelation and uh, looking forward to the journey together this morning talking about the king is coming. The king is coming. I heard a story uh, about a little boy. And uh, he had the privilege and opportunity uh, to, to buy himself a new puppy. And so he had the pick of the litter. And so his daddy brought him down there to this little room. And, and all of these little puppies were running around. And he was sitting there looking at them and interacting with the different puppies, trying to figure out which ones he's going to pick out. And uh, as he sat there looking at these little puppies, there was one over there. And his tail looked like a windmill. That thing was just a wagon back and forth. He couldn't control and he was over there in the corner just shaking. And that little boy finally said, Hey, I've picked my doggy. I want the one with the happy ending. And uh, this morning we're not talking about puppies as we move through the book of Revelation, but we are talking about a happy ending. That's what it is all about when you're talking about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation primarily is a, is a book of prophecy. And so uh, when you're talking about the end times, there's a big fancy word called eschatology, and all that simply means are the events uh, surrounding the end times. And so this book primarily is a book of prophecy, and we're going to walk through uh, chapter and verse. This is John writing. Uh, it's his, his, uh, his, it's actually the revelation of Jesus Christ, but it's through the pen of John. John's, this is his fifth book that's included in the New Testament, sec second only to the Apostle Paul when you're talking about John. And you say, why are you talking about John? Because when you look at his books that he's written, it's amazing. Uh, he is, by the way, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had an intimate relationship, a very close, near and dear uh, to the heart of Jesus Christ. And when you look at his writings over in the Gospel, it begins with the Gospel of John. And the purpose for the Gospel of John is to convert sinners to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says over in John chapter number 20 and in verse number 31, the Bible says, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He was thoroughly convinced that, listen, people need to know Jesus Christ is their personal Lord and Savior. He is God Almighty, God in the flesh. He writes through his epistles, the three that he wrote, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And the purpose for writing those uh, would be to confirm, uh, to confirm the saints. In 1 John chapter number 5 and in verse number 13, he says this. He says, These things I have written to you uh, who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. To confirm, to assure, to know that, hey, I know that I know that I know that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He has changed me. He has saved me. And when you look through those writings, the, he gives tests along the way. And the tests are uh, primarily of obedience and of love. Love is, is the badge of a believer. Once we have been saved, what happens is he begins to work on the inside and, and, and we begin to manifest the presence of the Holy Spirit of God through love and then also through obedience. And now he's writing this book of the Revelation. And when we talk about this book of the Revelation, 
Revelation, John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's now an old man. Uh, he started following Jesus Christ as a young teenager, but now he finds himself incarcerated in isolation on the Isle of Patmos, and God gives him a word to deliver to the people. And it's a word of comfort. It's a word of hope because there's great, great, great persecution that's plaguing the world. John is one of those martyrs that ultimately was a martyr of the faith. All of his brothers, all of those that he served with had been martyred for their faith, and God gives him a word, just letting him know, hey, listen, you have not been forgotten by your Savior. Although he ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, he's still in control of all things that are happening in this place, and one day he is coming again. And so it's a message of hope. It's a message of comfort when you're talking about this book of Revelation. He's just simply saying, you've not been forgotten. The king is coming. Revelation chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 1. And the Bible says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it, or signified it, uh, by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near." John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God, uh, and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the, tr of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. There are a lot of words in this introduction of the book of Revelation. And, uh, and John begins with basically an introduction. And it's so important when we're talking about this entire book of Revelation to get the introduction right. And the reason for that is so that we might understand and not get caught up in the weeds as you're walking through uh, this book, as we're studying together. So I want to encourage you uh, uh, during the week to make sure you're reading along, studying along, and, uh, and we'll, we'll just walk through this book together. But God, help us not get caught up in the weeds. He begins with this introduction in the first three verses. And first of all, he says, hey, there is the person of the revelation. There is the per person of the revelation. And it's important to understand who that is. There's only one revelation with many visions. When you're talking about the book of Revelation, it is the book of Revelation. There's one revelation, and it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the main character. He is the person about which this book is being written. Oftentimes what we do is we fall off into the weeds and say, man, I need to figure it all out when the fact of the matter is the character that we need to keep our eyes on is Jesus Christ. And he is, by the way, the main character of the whole book. You've heard it said before, when you're talking about your Bible, your Bible is a hymn book. It is all about him, meaning Jesus Christ. He is the main character in this book. The revelation of Jesus. Revelation, the word simply means apocalypsis, or that's the Greek word, but what it means is simply this, the unveiling. The unveiling. What's he saying? 
Well, here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, in his first appearing, the glory of Jesus Christ was veiled. In other words, you saw him in his humanity. That is exactly how you had the opportunity and the privilege to see Jesus Christ. He was veiled. In fact, the Bible says in Philippians chapter number 2 and in verse number 7, talking about Jesus, but Jesus, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of Men. And it goes on from there, verse number 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so Jesus, in his first coming, he came in humility, in humiliation. The next time he comes, he will come in exaltation. When we think about Jesus Christ, most often we think about the cradle, or sometimes we think about the cross, and we forget that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is majestic. And one of these days we will see him as he is. And so John the Revelator is just simply saying, hey, you need to understand who Jesus Christ is. Who is the one who came for you? Who is the one who loves you? Who is the one who died for you? And that's the book of Revelation. That's what he's attempting to do in his writings. The first time, there were a few that caught a glimpse of his glory. When you're talking about what took place in the first coming, when you read through the Gospels, you read a story called the Transfiguration. If you've read through the Gospels, you've heard of the Transfiguration, and it's where Peter, James, and John caught a glimpse of Jesus Christ unveiled in all of his glory for just a moment. But then during the, during the miracles that he performed throughout the New Testament, we catch glimpses of his glory, but one day we will see him completely unveiled. This is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. He's not just a man. Although he was 100% man, he's also 100% God. And so when you read through the book of Revelation and you think about the picture that's being painted about who is this Jesus Christ, it's as if John is just simply saying, hey listen, he's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who was and who is and who is to come. He's the Almighty. He's the first and he's the last. He's the living one. He's the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. He's the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He's the one who has a sharp two-edged sword, the Son of God with eyes of flame and feet like bronze. He's the one who is holy and true. He holds the key of David who opens doors and no one can shut and closes doors and no one can open. He's the amen. He's the faithful and the true. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He's the lamb of God. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's Jesus, the bright and morning star. Yes, he was born in a crib and he died on a cross, but he's God almighty in the flesh, veiled one day to be completely unveiled. We're going to see the unveiling of Jesus. Jesus Christ as we move through the book of Revelation. When you're talking about what is this about, it's about a person, it's about Jesus. Don't forget the main character as we walk through. Now, the Bible says this. <clears throat> it's the revelation of Jesus which God gave him, talking about John, to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and he communicated it or signified it, your Bible might say, uh, by his angel to the bondservant John. And so how did he do it? Well, he did it. He, he, he did it through uh, communicating or signifying. In fact, when you're reading through the book of Revelation, what you have to understand is oftentimes he does use symbols. 
Now, here's where it gets a little bit tricky. When you're talking about symbols, it's important to understand that we're not talking about a book that's just merely about symbols, but rather, it is a book to be literally interpreted. The only way you can have literal interpretation is if you understand the symbols. You don't interpret it as though it's a book about symbols. It's not a book about symbols. The symbols are merely there to communicate truth so that you might literally believe and what he's writing about. For example, if we were to talk today, and I said to you this morning, if I said this, <clears throat> I tell you what, man, I've met some people in our church, <clears throat> and they're a bunch of snakes. Now, if you're visiting, we, I've never met anybody like that, but I'm just saying, I'm just trying to make an illustration. Uh, they're a bunch of snakes. Well, what are you saying? Well, I, I'm using symbolism to help you understand a literal truth, Right? And most everybody in here would say, I understand what you're talking about. And so, and so John, in his revelation, he's using some symbols as we move forward. But make sure you understand not to interpret it just simply about uh, as if we're to say it's just symbolism. But rather, it is literal truth that he's writing about, just simply signifying or sign-ified. That's what he did. But the people who... Whom, to whom this is revealed. In other words, we're still on the introduction. The people, he says, to show to his bondservants. To show to his bondservants. I want to reveal myself to my bondservants. That's the main recipients of the letter of the book of Revelation. And so this morning, if you've never been born again, if you're not a part of the family of God, the letter's not even for you. He said, man, I'm, I'm writing. I, I want my children. I want my bondservants. In fact, the word that he uses for bondservant is this, is a doulos. What do you mean a doulos? What is that? A doulos, you know what a doulos is? A doulos is a slave by choice. A slave by choice. In other words, in other words he, his obligation has been fulfilled to his master, but he loves his master so much and his master loves him so much that he would agree to say, I am giving up all of my rights to you so that I might be with you forever and forever and forever. And so they would take somebody that was a doulos and they would take an anvil and they would stick their ear out there and they would knock a hole in their ear forever marked as a doulos, a slave. I gave up my rights willingly because I love my master. That's how he describes a Christian. That's how he describes a follower of Jesus Christ, one who understands his lordship. Oh, we're saved by his grace. And aren't you grateful to God that we're saved by his grace? But he is king of kings and lord of lords. He's writing to his children. The purpose of his revelation is prophetical to let his children know that, hey, listen, I am in control of all things. He says there in verse number one, the things which must soon take place. And then in verse number three, it's interesting because he says, for the time is near. Well, when you're talking about prophecy, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 46 in verses nine and 10, Isaiah 46 in verses nine and 10, the Bible says it like this. Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Why do you go there? Because there's a lot of people that are intrigued by prophecy and there's a lot of people who claim to be prophets and are not. Prophecy belongs to God and to God alone. 
And he gives us a word. And he says, hey, it soon will come. And so some people look at that and say, man, it's been a couple of thousand years. What in the world is he talking about? To which I would say, I don't, I don't believe that when you're talking about, I don't believe he's talking about sequence when it comes to time. I don't think he's talking about sequence, but rather the imminency of the return of Jesus Christ. In other words, it could happen at any moment. And it will happen at any moment. I don't know when it will happen, but it will happen soon. And I don't know what all that means. But I do know this, that when you're talking about soon, First uh, Peter chapter number 3, Jesus, it, says, it says this about Jesus. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all might have eternal life. And so when you're talking about his delay and his coming, he says, hey, just remember this. When you're talking about Jesus, he's not confined to time like you and I are confined to time. In fact, for him, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. So it's only been a couple of days. It's coming soon. It's coming soon. Again, we're talking imminency and not sequential. In fact, some would look at this and say, well, he may be referring to, in fact, once the end times begin. Because when you're talking about the end times that we're going to cover and the scope of humanity, we're only talking about a period of about seven years, the book of Revelation. <clears throat> Eventually. But nonetheless, the purpose is prophetical and the promise this is what's interesting about the book of revelation it's the only book in the new testament with the promise although we need to make sure we do what the bible says but the bible says in verse number three blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near so he gives a promise in verse number three he says hey there's a promise to the reader. Blessed are those who read the word. Blessed are those who read the word. And so when you're talking about, again, the recipients of the letter, that would be referring to the pastors standing in front of people and reading and preaching the word of truth because it was, they weren't a people that had Scripture in the homes and in the hands of every person like we do today. Blessed is he who reads. But then he says, blessed is he who hears the words of the prophecy. And make sure we're hearing the words of prophecy, sometimes what we do is we really aren't, aren't really hearing what's being said. I mean, that happens to me a lot of times. You ever, you ever been there and you, you know that your wife is talking to you and, and you say, yeah. And then five minutes later, I have to go back and say, did, did you just say something to me? <laughs> do y'all ever do that? I'll make sure I'm not the only one in trouble this morning. But make sure that when we're opening the Word of God that we're hearing the Word of God. Bless, bless, bless. You know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, you're going to receive a blessing by walking through this book together. And so I'd encourage you, don't miss the next 10 months. Set it up. <laughs> blessed are those who hear. But then he also says, blessed are those who heed the Word, who do the Word. James chapter number 1 and in verse Number 22, the Bible says this about all Scripture. Uh, but in James chapter 1, verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. And so when you're talking about the book of Revelation, all too often the book of Revelation is approached as if it's simply an argument to be had or a debate to be had because we want to know what your position is in eschatological events. Are you a premillennialist or a postmillennialist or a pre-tribber or a post-tribber? What are you? He's coming again. <laughs> He's coming again. And just in case you're wondering, I am premillennial, pre-trib. That's what I am. For those of you who don't know what that is, I'll tell you as we go, all right? 
And for those of you who disagree, you get corrected as we... No. <laughs> Oh, uh, it's not, it's, hey, here, here's my point. This is my point. He didn't write the book so that we can have arguments and try to figure it all out. But he said, I want you to be a doer of the word, a doer of the word. In other words, when you're reading through the book of Revelation, there's a problem if it doesn't move me to do. What ought it move me to do? Well, there's a lot of things that ought move me to do. We're going to find some truths throughout as we walk through this book, but I'll just tell you up front, there's some things that ought to happen to us as we walk through the book of Revelation. When we see Jesus Christ for who he is, our, our worship ought to become more uninhibited and more passionate because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords who is worthy of uninhibited worship. It's not about me when I come in here on a Sunday morning. It's all about him. I mean, it ought to change our worship, how we go about worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords. Because of the immediacy and the imminency of the return of Jesus Christ, it ought to move our hearts to share the gospel with more passion and more regularly. Because he's coming again, and it could be today. Not only ought it move our hearts to share the gospel, but it ought to move us to holiness. He says, be holy, for I am holy. It ought to move our actions. We ought to keep a short leash on sin and not act as though he winks at sin because he doesn't. There ought to be some things that happen to us as we read through the book of Revelation. And it ought not to be just that we get a big head but a hot heart for God. And God help us as we walk through his word together the introduction he goes on from there and he gives us a salutation from verse number four and following it says john he identifies himself as the author but he also says to the seven churches that are in asia grace to you and peace which we find throughout the new testament without grace you have no peace in other words if you want true peace you got to have peace with god because when you have peace with god only then can i have the peace of god it says, grace precedes peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And then in verse number five and six, he continues on. But here in verses number four, five, and six during the salutation, he's just simply saying, man, here's the Trinity. Here's the God. Here is who he is. When you're talking about the Christian God, we have one God in three persons. We don't have the word Trinity found in Scripture, but here is an, a description of what that means. What do you mean, one God in three persons? He says, oh, there's the Father, the one who was and is and is to come. And when you're talking about the Father, the one who was and is and is to come, He is everlasting from everlasting to everlasting. He is the everlasting God. Not only do we have the Father, but we have the Spirit, the seven spirits before the throne. Seven is a number simply meaning that which is completed. In other words, he's talking here about the Holy Spirit of the living God. And we're going to talk more as we move forward. But he really says, but I want you to pay attention to the Son. Why? Because the main character of the Revelation is the Son. And so he gives a detailed description of the Son. He says this about the Son, beginning in verse number 5. He says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and, and, and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
In other words, it's a, re a revelation of Jesus Christ. First of all, who he is. He's the faithful witness. Faithful witness of what? To God Almighty. When you're talking about who he is, John chapter number 14, in John 14 and verse number 9, the Bible says it like this. <clears throat> Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In other words, man, I have revealed to a T who God Almighty is. He's the faithful witness. In fact, it says in John 14, verse number 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he's done. He's the firstborn of the dead. When you're talking about the firstborn of the dead, again, he's not talking sequential, but rather in preeminence because there have been others who were raised from the dead. When you're reading through the New Testament, you will find others who were raised before him. And so you say, man, what is he talking about here? Because when you look back, you can see that, for example, Lazarus uh, was raised from the dead. There was a fellow named Eutychus in the book of Acts that was raised from the dead. Others had been raised from the dead, but the difference being the others who were raised from the dead, died and their bones never came up again. Jesus died, was put in the grave, and he's alive. There's nobody like him. He's alive. He's preeminent in his resurrection. He's the firstborn of the dead, simply meaning, again, preeminent. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. It brings great comfort when you're in the midst of persecution to know, hey, listen, my God is over you. He's sovereign in control of all things. That's who he is in verse number five. What he has done in verse number six. He's made us to be a kingdom, a priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion. Let me back up because I need to pick up five. I skipped it and it's the most important part. <laughs> to him who loves us. What has he done? He's loved us. He's released us from our sins by his blood. And he's made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and father in other words what did he do threefold first of all he loves us interesting when you look at the verb forms in this verse of scripture because it changes the first one is present tense in other words there's never been a time in other words yesterday jesus loves me today jesus loves me tomorrow jesus loves me what's he saying what he's saying is there's never been a time in your life nor will there ever be a time in your life when jesus christ didn't love you he loves you, and he demonstrated his great love for you, and that while you and while I was a sinner, he laid down his life for us because he desires an intimate relationship with us. He loves you, and he loves me. Nobody can ever go to hell because they weren't loved by God. Oh, he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loves us with an everlasting love, ever-present love. He loves you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. God loves you. It's present tense. And he says he's released us from our sins. You know what? That's in the aorist tense. What does that mean? That means by one act, one action, somewhere along the way, he released us, set us free from the bondage of our sin. Well, what was that? Well, that would have been the cross. The Bible says over in the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> in the Hebrews chapter number 10, and verses number 10 through 12, the Bible says this, by this will we have been sanctified or made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. He's talking about the old covenant. <clears throat> Verse 12, but he, Jesus, 
having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. Hey, listen this morning. I don't know where you're coming from, but I want to ask you a serious question. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm talking about a time in your life when you recognize I am a sinner and my sin separates me from God. And I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want Jesus to be my Lord. I want him to be my Savior. I believe that on the cross he died for me. He paid the price for my sin. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. So my question to you would be this. If you do not have relationship with God Almighty through his son, Jesus Christ, here's the question. What are you doing about your sin? Scripture says without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. So if there's never been a time when you've received, by grace, through faith, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, it's not a good ending. Call on his name. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He paid the price for you and for me. Not only does he love us and release us, he's made us priests. In other words, we are a privileged people that have direct access to the throne of God Almighty because of Jesus. Aren't you? Th- what a blessing is that? What a privilege is that that's oftentimes neglected? For brothers and sisters, let me just ask a simple question. What's your prayer life like? See, Jesus Christ, part of his dying on the cross, granted to you and to me, blessed us with the privilege of having direct access into the throne of God Almighty. He desires intimacy with his children. He's made us priests. First Peter, over in the book of First Peter, chapter number 2, in verse number 9, 1 Peter chapter number 2, and in verse number 9, the Bible says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. <clears throat> a priesthood. He goes on from there. Verse number 7 and 8. And he makes a declaration about the return of Jesus Christ. (laughs) He says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And so we have this declaration Now, to be clear, when you're talking about the book of Revelation and when you're talking about the end-time events, when you're talking about the end-time events, there are two different events that we have to be careful not to combine or not to bring together, and they would be the rapture of the church and the return of Jesus Christ. He's talking here about his return. The rapture of the church, when you're talking about how it's described in Scripture, The rapture of the church is an unseen event by most of the world. All they see is they were working next to somebody and they disappeared. (laughs) 
The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verses 16 and 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead, and Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, believers, believers, and remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. In other words, there's the rapture of the church where Jesus Christ calls us out. In other words, he snatches us, the word literally means. He snatches us up to himself. And that's the next event that will take place is the rapture. We're not talking about the rapture here. We're talking about an event that every eye will see. It will be evident to all. Why? Because he's coming, the Bible says, in the clouds. What do you mean coming in the clouds? When you're talking about uh, the clouds, the clouds are a revelation of the glory of God Almighty. When you read through Scripture, primarily in the Old Testament, you find the clouds when you're talking about the glory of God at Mount Sinai when Moses went up into the clouds to meet with God Almighty. The tabernacle when the cloud of God filled the tabernacle of the people of God. In the wilderness wanderings as he led his people in a cloud. It, it's, it's a revelation of, again, the glory of God. He's saying, hey, he's coming in the clouds. I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look like, but the Bible says everybody's going to see him. Every eye will see him. And the Bible says not every eye is going to be filled with joy. Not every eye is going to be filled with, there's my king, there's my Lord, there's my master, there's my savior, but rather he's going to be met with mourning. Why? Because I know who he is. And I know I heard the truth, but rejected. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 12 and verses number 10 and 11, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. He's not talking about the Roman soldiers. He's talking about his people who rejected their Messiah. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And that day there will be great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadadrimum and the plain of Megiddo. Just simply saying there's going to be a time of mourning at his return. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. But he makes this declaration. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. What's he saying? He's saying this about Jesus. Hey, the first time he came, he came in humiliation. But when he comes again, it will be in exaltation. And he says, when I come again, I am coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's saying, hey, listen, first of all, I am the Alpha and the Omega. In the Greek alphabet, that's the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He's just simply saying, when you're talking about an alphabet, an alphabet reveals all knowledge, all understanding. That's what letters do when they come together. And he's saying, hey, listen, you know who I am? I am the omniscient God. I know everything. That's who Jesus is. I'm the Alpha, and I'm the Omega. I'm the one who was, and is, and is to come. In other words, I am ever-present. I am ever-present. 
There's never been a time I wasn't. Nor will there ever be a time that I will not be. But I am ever-present. I'm, omnip- I'm, I'm omnipresent. That's what that means. This is not only am I omnipresent, I am the Almighty. What does that mean? That means He's omnipotent. He's got all power. One day He will come again. Jesus Christ is coming again. He came the first time robed in humility and His humanity. But when he comes again, he's coming in all splendor and all glory and all majesty. One day, one way or another, every single person in this place will see Jesus Christ. Either through death, which is imminent, meaning it could happen today. My next breath is a gift from God. through the rapture or if you made it through the seven year tribulation period which most won't perhaps then you may be saved nonetheless you'll see him one way or the other every eye in here will see Jesus Christ exalted My question to you is simply this. Are you ready to meet the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Because the King is coming. (laughs) The King is coming. Would you do me a favor this morning and join me for a time of prayer? Hey, today I just want to encourage you this morning. We're going to pray, and after we pray, we're going to sing a song. But I just simply want to ask you this question. Are you, are you ready to meet the king? Oh, you will. You will. But are you ready? Are you ready? If you've never been saved, I just want to encourage you to call on his name today. Man, God loves you so much. He shed his own blood for you and for me. He conquered death in the grave. He's alive. And one day... We'll see him. Are you ready? If you've never called on his name, call on his name today. We're going to sing a song after we sing the song. We'll have people down front. We're going to be having a baptism, actually, just a few moments. Come to the baptism. Come talk to me. One of our staff will be down front. You come this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and say, man, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, man. I'm a brother, I'm a sister, but I'm not ready. But I want to be. God, help us. Speak to us today. Father, thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you for your love. I thank you for these days of grace that you have blessed us with. Father, we recognize it's not your will that any should perish, but that all may come to you. God, I pray that even today, even today, that there would be those who would come to you. Oh, God, I pray your Holy Spirit move in power and in might. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.